Welcome everyone to the Iron Fist podcast by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Shoulders down. Keep your knees bent. Think about sunsets. The Iron Fist podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 209, War Without End, is brought to you by Frank Choi's legendary, priceless, grade-A crap on a stick, because you can't eat romanticism. (laughs) Well, Pete, the adventure starting to wrap up here in uh, the penultimate episode of the uh, of the season after this of course we have uh, the the 210 podcast and the season wrap but the adventure is going to be continuing on the pop culture podcast feed we got god friended me we got some star trek short treks coming we got new york comic-con coming and uh, the party's just getting started it's a great time to be a geek Time to step inside the dojo and deconstruct this episode. Danny takes Colleen to his subway station door dungeon, which he found when he was chasing a mugger. He told himself he was training, but it was really all about using the fist. Clarity, release, power. Colleen had suspected as much, and Danny believes that's why he needs to step away. But Colleen tells him, He's overreacting. She traces the carnage wrought by Danny's fist with her own, but her answer is no. BB has the magic bowl at the Bayard Center as the triads plan their strike, and he receives a call from Crank, who tells him Davos has killed Rhino. Davos confronts Joy about BB's disappearance with the bowl, which Chen reports he had help with, before Crank tells Davos that BB is holed up at Baird with the triads. In a moment of great clarity, Davos throws Joy off the balcony. Danny rehearses the hand placement for the ritual with the instructions from the Tibetan scroll. Misty arrives and tells them she's been given a task force to bring Davos down. She went over Pike's head to Deputy Chief Ridley, She also got the U.S. Marshals to hand over Frank Choi for Colleen to interrogate. Choi gives her the key to the ledger. Turns out it was a woman who paid Choi with the heirloom box containing the combs. She spun a yarn about a princess and a fisherman she fell in love with and an evil pirate king. The princess defeats the pirate and captures the ship. The box was supposedly made from the bow spirit of the pirate ship. Colleen recognizes the tale as the pirate queen of Penghai, Bay from her childhood, made up by her mother. No one else could have told Choi the story. Colleen has Misty take him away. Danny proposes Colleen's mother is connected to the events of the story, but she doesn't want to talk about it and thinks she should have left it alone. Misty thinks she made a mistake by bringing Choi to Colleen. Danny tells Misty about his plan to have Colleen hold the iron fist once they get it back. Misty and Colleen talk on the roof about her mom and the plan. Misty knows Colleen would wield the fist right and kick some serious butt. Misty and her team move on Davos first thing in the morning. 
Walker reads the redacted file detailing her military history that Ward paid a super shady super PAC for. Smartly, he did not read the file, which she burns. Knowing what they're up against, they can't go get Joy just yet. They need to call upon a guy who can get them the right ordinance. Turk Barry is hitting golf balls and selling weapons in a van down by the river. Ward purchases Walker an unused M4 machine gun. Of course he's got armor-piercing rounds. Walker gets a gun, too, having had practice killing his father. Twice. A bloodied Joy comes to and drags herself across the floor when Chen stops her. She offers to pay him to let her go, but he's above money now, having bought into Davos's message. Danny and Colleen arrive at Baird, having been called by her friend Sam because the triads are laying low there, preparing a desperate strike against Davos. Mrs. Yang tells them about Mr. Yip's murder, and Colleen explains the NYPD is going to get Davos. Bibi comes in with the bowl and tells them how the squad is training with Davos. Sam interrupts and tells them they're outside. Mrs. Yang gathers the families to evacuate the building. Sam supplies a sedative to knock Davos out from the confiscated drugs collected by the center at the soup kitchen. Bibi sneaks outside and confronts Crank. Davos decapitates Lou. Crank repeatedly stabs Bibi just before Colleen shows up to take them on. With Innocent and Triad alike cornered, Danny and Davos face off. Danny ultimately injects him with the sedative and subdues him, but Bibi is a casualty of the conflict. Misty and the NYPD arrive and arrest the squad. Misty provides cover to take Davos away for the ceremony of transference and then intends to head over and find joy at Eden Towers. Colleen decides she will step up and wield the fist. At Colleen's, the Crane sisters give her a dragon tattoo with its wings outstretched on her right arm. Misty finds joy but is attacked by Chen. Ward arrives and shoots him in the neck. Ward takes Joy away. Walker puts Chen out of his misery and knocks Misty out. Colleen awakes for the final part of the ceremony, which causes both her and Davos's eyes to glow green. He uses his fists to stop them and goes for the bowl, but Colleen's fist lights up a brilliant white. Sparring partners, let's take a look at who Danny faced off against in this episode. Pete, Danny literally in this episode faced off against Davos, um, not once but twice. So clearly, Davos, who has uh, been the villain way back since the first episode, uh, maybe sometimes the villain in disguise, but still the tippity top villain here. I think the Iron Fist has made him a, a different character. Um, especially with Danny's insistence that there's good remaining in him. Um, clearly corrupted by it the same way Danny seems to have been, which makes Colleen's decision to take it on now all the more puzzling, seeing what it's done to other people she's known who wields it. 
we'll talk about that in a bit though. Uh, but clearly to the dark side here with Davos by pushing joy off the balcony. My somewhat sarcastic finger wag uh, a moment ago, I'll, I'll pull it back a bit just to say, I, you know, there still is plenty of potential in the season finale for there to be another Davos showdown, but I give, um, I give them credit placing this episode or this portion of the story where they did in the season. I think you very well could have had the end of this episode be the end of the season. You go, oh man, find out what happens with other Iron Fist powers next season in 18 months to two years. <laughs> If we navigate the Disney Fox merger and any other changes that falls out of the tree and maybe buying Marvel Netflix back or not or this or that. Instead, it's just like, let's go for it. Let's go for it now. I am more excited for the next episode of Iron Fist than I have been after any episode of these preceding, what, uh, 13, uh, th these preceding 22. Um, I, this was a fantastic ending and in part because... Davos seems to be largely dealt with and we seem to have uh, at least certainly addressed head on our season long villain. I think it was wise to end this episode where they did. And it gives you that last episode for development. Who knows if the fist will stay with her, whether this is, um, you know, temporary can can three people possibly handle the the magic of the dragon? I mean, what's what's Danny Rand going to be without his everything, as as Misty pointed out? So can that even happen? Will he get it back out of Davos? Can Colleen share it? I, I think there's a lot of different directions they could go. But yeah, certainly excited, as opposed to some other points in this season when we're like, all right, next one. If Danny does not keep uh, the power of the Iron Fist, then uh, in the great grand tradition of uh, of Tony Stark, Danny Rand will just have to revert to being a uh, playboy philanthropist, hacky sack, slacker, <laughs> um, meditator. Never been the the playboy part. With Chen, Matt, who we bid adieu to in this episode, we we saw a, a change. We did, and I, you know, I had uh, mentioned a couple podcasts ago with, with no great bit of uh, forsoothing and foretelling that uh, you know he was going to get his. I think that's just that's just standard storytelling. Uh, I was shocked when he was. Uh, I, I guess I was a bit shocked when he was wounded. But Pete, I mean, this goes back as far back as John Wayne Western westerns, if not earlier. You know, the old shot to the non-essential part which is non-essential because you go, ah, I guess I'll be okay. Lend me your bandana to put my arm up. Um, I, again, usually that's the arm or the shoulder, but it really could be, it could be anywhere for story purposes. When he gets boom, boom, boom more through him, then it was like, oh man, he did indeed just pay the price. I was, I was legitimately surprised there too, Pete. This was a, this was a solid episode. Yeah. And that somebody who had taken up with Davos, First, as uh, a, a matter of survival, show him to the different triad locations, be his uh, driver, and now buying into 
the uh, the teachings of Davos, that there's a, a bigger idea at play, was interesting. Would have liked to have seen the, the character stay around, but uh, a, a casualty of the conflict there at the end as uh, Walker takes him out. Also somebody, too, I think, you know, he's kind of in that mold of Icarus. He flew too close to the sun. He wanted his little slice of revenge. He ended up, you know, getting kind of uh, pulled up in, into the updraft of this one man Davos army that, you know, yeah, he's smushing a lot of people's heads, but uh, it, it's definitely for the right reason. And he knew it wasn't, but didn't want to back out because whatever this made him fit in or this was a means to an end for him to get the revenge he wanted or whatever and now here he is paying the price crank matt having murdered rhino in the last episode now murdering bb <sighs> the, the cycle of violence continuing uh <laughs> pete i'm gonna revise my non-prediction or, or lack of prediction in prior episodes for crank pete something's going to happen to crank these deaths cannot go go uh unattended to um but yeah i would not have expected crank to take this level of prominence compared to some of the other uh street urchins and uh, here he is with the blood of two compatriots on his hands and then we have walker who i i think we understand her need to knock misty out at the end of this episode, she's toting a machine gun. She's uh, going after Davos. This is her plan for murder, not for justice, to take Davos and uh, have him stand trial for the deaths he's uh, got on his hands. Uh, but boy, as much as we would like to side with Walker, nobody knocks Misty Knight out. I think, too, from a story perspective, it gives Misty a bit of an out because I think for for the second half of this episode and particularly the the final bit where she's in the uh, Davos's warehouse turned dojo uh, by herself, you kind of get the sense that she's slightly kind of a little bit outside the law. You know, I'm not saying bad cop level, but she's not calling for backup. She's not wearing a vest, like kind of things like that, which I, I I'm not going to get too too concerned about from a story point of view but i think that walker clunking her on the head there's the out of like hey how did this guy get shot how did you not uh you know how was there not a firefight between you and the assailant what exactly went on oh she got the drop on me and 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 all that which is all true but i think it's just again from a story sense it's a way of kind of cleansing some of her less than grade a police work in this episode Time to focus our chi and look inside this episode. Pete, I personally found it a little uh, a little unbelievable. This notion that the uh, the friendly, helpful neighborhood uh, soup kitchen fronted by Mrs. Chen and everybody that when they're doing their legit business, uh, that that the the drugs that they're collecting from the people who are you know trading off the drugs, so uh, you know, get a clean bowl of soup and a clean clean night's sleep, that kind of thing, that they just are hanging out with boxes and boxes and month, you know, several weeks, if not a month's worth of really hardcore drugs. Well, I mean, if we look at the model, a lot of police departments will have a day, a month that they uh, collect 
um, prescription drugs to be disposed of properly rather than, hey, I'm going to throw these pain medicines that uh, doctors prescribe me for legitimate reasons into the trash and someone goes dumpster diving and gets all sorts of hillbilly heroin that they're then beginning a cycle of addiction with. Um, I, I, I think compared to some writing we discussed in the last episode, which we're going to talk about in terms of some of the messages that we got, uh, this was a little bit more um, – noble and thought out i i certainly hear your logic there and i would be interested to hear from anybody out there who uh you know maybe has had a similar situation minus the glowing fists but you know a similar situation in, in some sort of uh, volunteer situation or you know, i know we have listeners in law enforcement um to me it just kind of jumped out as a means to an end like they kind of threw away, you know, oh, the police only come once a month, but we have this thing today that we need for the story today. Well, if I think, too, that the police would have a close association with a community center to trust them to be able to have this stuff. Maybe the once a month pickup wasn't the brightest line to write. Um, it could have just been that we hold until the police come and grab it. Um, or how about this, yeah. Pete? Let's throw one more phrase in there. We hold it in our safe. Because then I would have, no, then I wouldn't even stop to be like, "What? You have like a banker's box filled with, you know, morphine and and oxycontin and all of that." Like, if, well, if in that, my mind, to me, implies uh, even more uh, nefarious that they're squirreling it away. Um, I I suppose the the month, uh, you know, duration is more of a practicality like all right what, what was a realistic thing to think that the cops would come by every month you have a soup kitchen a uh, couple times a month uh people come in oh what do you got in your pockets there no 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 you're not getting soup if if you know you're going to be high or uh injecting iv drugs so you if you want the meal you got to hand that over um i i think it, it it was okay. The idea of putting it in a, in a safe, like they're collecting it for later use, I think would, would be more troublesome. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> what uh, non drug collecting theories do you have? Let's talk about the ridiculously poor communication between Danny and Colleen, the subway door dungeon being a window into just how well this couple communicates. Um, yeah, I think that it's clear in this uh, in this episode, nay, perhaps this whole season, that uh, they need to get some 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 extra work there, maybe some extra help with communication. Um, I feel like a lot of it, uh, unsurprisingly, falls at Danny's feet for kind of being a sulky, you know, sulky so and so. He was the. <laughs> what's that? Completely to the point where he essentially, with a with an assist to Mrs. Yang, guilts her into the fist. Um, you know, I hadn't quite looked at it like that, but I have to agree now. Uh, probably because I was rooting so much for Colleen to uh, th to go down that path. But um, how everybody who's gotten the fist <laughs> has problems chasing the dragon. 
Uh, has Danny though? I mean, he yeah, seems. Just he admitted to it. I was beating these up. I was looking for somebody to use the fist on. No, I wanted the clarity, man. Just give me the clarity. I just want to be clear, Matt. Uh, how about this? In the t- in the entire time that he's been the Iron Fist, he. I mean, okay, he was a lousy protector of Conlon, but you know, he had his first <laughs> season one adventure in New York, and then he helped the Defenders, and you know, only one of the four Defenders died. Um, and then, you know, then he showed up in Luke Cage and really kind of was funny there. Um, I mean, he was clearly the best incarnation of the character in that episode of Luke Fist. Luke Fist. (laughs) It might as well have been called Luke Fist. Luke Cage. (laughs) We need to get more of that crisscross going on. If, if only to continue to improve the character of, uh, of Danny Rand. Um, Pete, you have laid out an evidence-based story-based argument to have me reassess my perspective here i want to see colleen elevated uh to, to such a degree that i am ignoring the actual facts of the story are going on pete i don't know whether that's called shipping or 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 head cannoning or whatever it is but warding what's that <laughs> warding warding absolutely but uh i think you are right that uh that the show has clearly made it uh made it evident that uh, the fist is something to be feared. The, the possible exception, and it could be clear this is where they're going, is that the judgment of a female would be better than that of these two males who were trained to do nothing but seek this honor. Uh, yeah, I mean, as we've discussed in prior episodes, the kind of Jedi-like focus or monastic clearly kind of the the monastic life is not exclusive to the jedi but that kind of that that kind of singular focus to this is the only way to live this life towards this power when in fact it's not uh you know was that ultimately the undoing of kunlun well and they made the best protector possible and he bounced when they needed him most. And then the second place protector, when he became iron fist, now he's a killing machine and poor Mr. Yip is there with no, no midsection. Um, it does call into question some of the practices of Kun Lun. Let's get that fresh start here from Colleen wing. Colleen's mom and the pirate queen of ping high Bay. Wait a minute. Pete. This reminds me of how in the episode, how they brought that up too, and everybody was completely surprised. But wait a minute. Hold on. Wait. <laughs> this already came up prior in their story. So I was a little confused why all of a sudden she was like, wait, hold on, time out. This story that you're telling about this chest that I brought to you that has my family seal on it that I haven't cared about since 202, hold on, time out. That's my story. That's my family story. My mom made it up. Oh my goodness, it's all connected to my mom. Yeah, like you said back in the the, the first episode when it showed up, I was confused as an, as an audience person, Pete. Is this my bad again? It is not your bad. My only qualm has been that there was that break in the middle of the season where like, oh yeah, hey, Frank Choi, not a thing. Boom. Remember him? Three episodes later, now we're going to bring that up again. Um... I was I was agog that that it was written in a way where it was like 
she didn't know where this story where the story was coming from when it was made clear to us that he was telling a story about the thing and the thing was from the family i guess pete it's setting up family interaction i would have liked it if it was before the last episode because i'm expecting when we get done podcasting here and i click on 210 with uh with little if if not uh any foreknowledge um i mean my expectations are okay something with um colleen wing iron fist we're gonna get that resolved is it gonna stick around or not uh final down for the count davos i don't know i would imagine so i hope we don't have one more showdown with him although i kind of suspect we do and if it's well choreographed I'll, I'll certainly enjoy it uh we have colleen mom stuff we have warden joy uh relaxing their tensions with each other we have joy and joy stopping fighting with ward and danny and all this um there's a lot of story to spin down and it's probably going to be like a 50 minute episode um so is this set up for season three which i kind of feel like i'm increasingly a little less dazzled with you know as referenced in a prior episode kind of that that hellcat ending of jessica jones season two which i enjoyed at the time but just use that as a model of oh man we're gonna save it we're gonna save it we're gonna save it oh we just gave you a glimpse coming in a future story the end to me that's getting a little old i kind of want to have my my dessert right after my dinner and not wait 18 months in between seasons you can assume, too, given the nature of this TV, given the already reduced nature of the Iron Fist episode count for season two, that they'll get a chance to tell that third chapter um, unless it's not planned for some kind of defenders reteam up. I mean, consider, Matt, one more episode here and we're back on cycle for defenders, which will not be next. Daredevil will be next. We now have a date. Friday, October 19th, uh, which is earlier than both you and I figured this was going to be. I mean, heck, we might get Punisher very late in this year, uh, which will be the next one after that. And then uh, Jessica Jones uh, getting ready at at some point. So, um, yeah, I mean, remains to be seen. But with this wing tattoo, with the white fist, um, again, an idea of a different identity for the wielder of the fist here when it's not Davos with the serpent tattoo uh, that she's got a different one. I guess really what I want beyond, hey, take a piece of the tattoo and burn that and drink magic juice in this bowl and things and hand placement and now you are Iron Fist. I just want some kind of idea. Give me a flashback to Kunlun that the the fist can manifest itself to take on the identity of its wielder. I mean, we've only ever seen the one fist and now we have these two others. I certainly am going to go with the theory that the mantle of the fist does not corrupt, that it merely uh, magnifies what's already there. Uh, Danny, basically responsible, <laughs> occasionally bored and sullen. Okay, we've seen that in his fistitude. Davos kind of way extremist way disciplined but clearly overly disciplined we've seen that you know colleen hopefully well-rounded and able to to carry the mantle uh and all that i also wouldn't honestly just rule out because somebody's gonna say because show like i doubt we're gonna end up with danny powerless and now colleen is the the new and the only iron fist i think we're gonna get like a a team up sitch 
uh, proposed for whatever future adventures after this season. But uh, time will tell. All right. We, we ate our lima beans, Matt. It's time for dessert. And that dessert, as always, is an appearance, a cameo in yet another season of Marvel Netflix of Turk Barrett. The only complaint I have is that it was too short. Otherwise, it was sparkling. It was wonderful. It was funny. It was well lit. Not that that's generally a problem. Just this glorious, glorious, cold, bright uh, winter day. Uh, the notion that he's playing beer can golf, you know, because he's, he's working his way up in the world, Pete. Um, but I guess that, wasn't he selling uh, uh, marijuana uh, particulars in, in Luke Cage? He know, was. So. He was. And every time we see him, I pitch yet another Marvel Netflix Turk Barrett series idea. So here's my latest one. Go for okay. it. I don't have a title for you just yet. Okay. Haven't just watched. But uh, I want a Turk Ward spinoff where Turk is Ward's cleaner. A la a Mike Ehrman Trout in like Breaking Bad and, and Better Call Saul. In like um, the mafia cleaner kind of sense. Just he's his fixer. He, fixer, yeah. He, yeah. He, he does things for him that Ward can't get his uh, hands dirty for. And, uh, you know, all of this in exchange for golf tips. I mean, Pete, then there could be like golfing montages out there on the on the uh, on the golf course and whatnot. Um Pete, I think that this is this is the half hour, maybe forty minute uh, buddy comedy that Netflix and Marvel didn't know they needed until now. Let's listen to some messages from the mystical city of Kunlun. So, Pete, we had a tweet from Cassie Mack who said as follows. Nice try viewing Bethany's behavior as if she merely spewed seed six plus weeks ago. The experience of hosting a new life in your body, capital letters, uh, parenthetically, plus hormonal changes to protect them, close parentheses, impact the mother more than your hashtag false equivalents can comprehend, hashtag iron fist. Pete, where do you want to begin? Well... I, I think um, Cassie Mack has misunderstood the point that was made in the previous episode. Um, nobody tried to compare Bethany being pregnant to the act of uh, male impregnation. Um, what I took issue with is that by having an exact week, day, hour is really the thing that made it lousy writing, uh, number to compare, you know, hi, I'm Bethany. I'm an alcoholic. I've, I've been sober for six years, uh, two months and three days with hi, I'm Bethany. And I've been pregnant for six weeks, two days and 14 hours. Okay. As if to imply the moment she felt a change in her body, she got her smartphone out and set a timer set a stopwatch to, to know how long, uh, the pregnancy would last in terms of, uh, uh, you know, time or the moment that she had a positive pregnancy test, same situation. Okay. Not that a woman doesn't feel changes inside her. And what was later questioned in the, the tweets quite, 
uh, inappropriately was that I know nothing about this. Um, my dad was an OBGYN for parts of four decades, actually brought Matt into the world, we would find out later. Um, so I'm extraordinarily sympathetic, empathetic to what women go through. And I've taken basic biology to know that women feel that. But I'm pretty sure they don't have this internal chronometer to say, mm, have been pregnant for six weeks, 14 days, and one hour and eight minutes. Boop, boop. And I think also our original discussion a few podcast episodes ago, it was it was under the umbrella, A, of you said that this was not in your experience and then kind of referred it to me as the as the spouse of someone who's had a baby and the answer kind of came there i don't think that we were i know i can state with confidence that the intention was not for us to speak for all of female kind nor do i think most listeners would walk away with that as a uh, as an impression i think it was it was under that umbrella of hey this is an experience that is outside our immediate one what what are what are some uh, near experiences that, that that can help us understand this bit of writing? That's and number do one. you track the weeks and months and hours uh, of a pregnancy? I could see perhaps like, oh, we're having our second baby. Let's do this as a thing. The minute we know we have conceived, and even then, it wouldn't be an accurate track because. Unless Bethany can feel mitosis, um, her body only knew so much to communicate to her brain consciously. And I think the larger issue within the story was that this was just a weird story it was, moment. It, it wasn't. It was weird writing. Is yeah. is what it was. Okay. Yes, there was some symmetry of. I'm an alcoholic and I've been sober for this long. I'm an expectant mother and I've been with child for that long. But again, as a writer, there are moments when you have to apply restraint to not have things be so cutesy and that it took us both. And yes, we are male. Uh, maybe Matt, when, uh, we have enough listeners and we have enough of a, uh, Patreon background that we can go and hire a third female host and do all that. We can incorporate that perspective. But in terms of this thing that we do and the voices that we have, sorry, that's where we were. I'll add too. it was kind of, it was, it, it was a little strange to, to, to kind of get the sense that kind that, that how dare we enter upon this topic because we're male again, I don't think that we were, we weren't declaring sentence for all female kind. It was just, it was just here, here's the perspective that we have and here's why we think it's, a, you know, and, and then we brought it back to the writing. Ultimately, Pete, I can't help but think of that scene in infinity war where Iron Man and Doctor Strange and Spider-Man, they're about to be attacked. Who's attacking them? It's the Guardians of the Galaxy. We're all on the same side, Pete. We all want the same things. We want, we want you know, more power for women and equality and things like that. And to be, to be kind of pulled down this rabbit hole of, of, of I, I don't know quite what. It was, a, it was a strange experience indeed. I'll say that. From an episode a podcast that I went back and listened in which we repeatedly pointed out the strength of the women involved 
including Bethany, despite that one poorly written line the actress was given. But clearly that uh, Cassie Mack didn't want to have a discussion because I uh, asked her, hey, am am I the one you're referring to? Because she never, apart from tagging me in the first tweet, specifically mentioned me. I don't know if that was intentional or not. You had a back and forth with her. She would not reply to me, even said I was increasingly narcissistic. She wouldn't elaborate for me. So clearly not interested in having a discussion. All I'll say is, Pete, that I don't think you're narcissistic, even though you demanded that the entire recording studio be covered in mirrors that only face you. If that's what (laughs) makes the sound better, that's okay, whatever. Pete, from that certainly unique discussion that we had on Twitter, what are some other uh, bits o mailbag to discuss today? A little bit uh, of further Bethany discussion here. James Killen wrote into the Fantastic Geek Facebook page. Hey guys, another possible take on Bethany knowing her baby's uh, age from conception down to the hour. She's an anesthesiologist with at least 12 years of education slash training in the science slash medicine, at least five years on staff at a hospital, assuming she's mid, late 30s. So she spent thousands of hours calculating dosages. So for my way of thinking, the mix of medical specialist training slash expertise mixed with early pregnancy nurturing instincts, it all makes perfect sense. Bottom line is this, the character of Bethany, definitely compelling character. I, I suspect with one episode to go, we're probably not going to get a lot of her. Uh, time will tell. Uh, but there's so many other story uh story elements in there that I wish we got more of this character. That's the bottom line. I think in terms of helping to rehabilitate Ward, both with her uh, sponsorship and now potentially becoming the mother of uh, his child, that she has a lot of opportunities there as a character. I just wish they had done a better job in terms of expressing this and throwing it out there that, you know, the number of weeks, days, hours, minutes, seconds that she's been pregnant. It, yeah, <laughs> that was my only concern about it. We have another uh, Facebook post here, Matt, from Deborah E. Battle. She writes in, okay, there are things you are missing. First, Mary said that Walker had saved them in Green Bay, suggesting she saved them in an earlier time. Also, Mary, not Walker, is an altar. Well, let's deal with the second one first. I think that maybe what has happened is there's a little, you know, we're slightly out of sync with when, you know, we're recording these episodes ahead of time generally. Certainly the way that the season was unfolding very much certainly for the first three episodes, four episodes, something like that, it appeared that Mary was the primary personality. Because we met her first? Yeah. Yes. And, <laughs> and, and honestly, it's only until, uh, let's see, we're in 209. It's only in 208 where she's at the doctor's office where, yes. in my mind, it was very clear Walker is the main one. And, and let, me, let me say, there had been a number of episodes leading up to that with some of the Sokovia backstory and things like that where it was increasingly clear that Mary was not kind of the 
was not was probably not the main one and if she was then she had been suppressed for this long time of army service or time in sokovia or something like that um i would certainly agree that walker is the is the main entity and mary the, the altar i just don't know that that was clear for the first half of the story oh it was not meant to that was the surprise that it's walker the the battle hardened uh, Sergeant First Class, who is the primary identity, and Mary being the altar. I don't think that was something we had confused. I don't know necessarily um, if uh, if Debbie here is current in terms of where we were um, in our podcasting of it, uh, but that's fine. Um, the issue with uh, the, the saving that Walker saved them in, in green Bay, um, one saving the other. Okay. This other third potentially emerging merging identity. I, I think where the story's going, um, is where the story's at. Yeah. I would be interested to hear more about that more discussion uh about that green bay comment because i'm not quite clear what point is being hammered home with it uh certainly there it's been made clear in a couple of episodes that there is this weird symbiotic relationship between mary and walker even though they you know literally are not ever in the same room together but also you know there's this there's this dislike of each other the, the grudging mutual admiration is there and the fact that they've helped each other out in the past uh I, I will grant you certainly is clear i'm just not i'm i'm not entirely clear how the green bay anecdote like kind of what what, what point that serves so i'd love to hear more well matt i may be a narcissist but the good people that go to patreon.com slash fantastic geek are definitely not Indeed, they are lending the helping hand, keeping the podcast going. It's amazing to think, Pete, that we have one more new episode of Iron Fist, a podcast, and that'll be another series that we are current on. Uh, certainly no one is saying that this is the end of Iron Fist, period, but it'll be another series where, check, we're, you know, we're, we're done with that series, at least for the short, uh, for the short term, uh, that particularly at a time when we are uh, starting to ramp up for uh, God Friended Me, for the Star Trek Discovery short treks and and all the things that the future holds, Daredevil. I, I, I knew there was a third, a, a minor third thing, Pete. Uh, all of that uh, ahead of us, and all that you know, the bandwidth and the storage and the technology, blah blah blah, and uh, all helped out by the people on Patreon.com/slash/FantasticGeek. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, and especially with New York Comic Con right around the corner you want to be down for that well pete the best gift it's the gift of communication the two-way street how can people be in touch with you if you want to be in touch with me on twitter you can find me at peter p-i-e-t-e-r-j-k-e-t-e-l-a-a-r 9988 followers can't be wrong and while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the P and the H, all one word, like it today. 
Well, Pete, as mentioned, this Friday we will finally be concluding Iron Fist, at least new episodes. Uh, the following Sunday, this Sunday, we'll be talking the season two wrap up, and uh, that'll also be the day that uh, God friended me. Uh, its pilot episode airs over, over broadcast, so is it all connected, Pete? I don't know, but we'll find out. Well, if you plan on watching that, you can certainly hit up our podcast of the pilot immediately after you finish, or uh, you can still check out the pilot over their social media. Uh, either way, we hope you'd give both a chance. I can't wait to go pop on the last episode of Iron Fist, see how it all ends. So with that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Having power doesn't make you a hero.